The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and a happy Wednesday. We're coming to you from Salem, New Hampshire, and today we are going to talk about when everyone else's dog is the problem. Which is all the time. Yeah, well, sometimes it is your dog that's the problem. It's always somebody else's dog, but never my dog. But a lot of people like to make it about everyone else's dog. But today we're going to talk about when it's not your dog that's the issue, but other dogs are the issue. But first, we're going to start with quick tip of the day. It's somebody else's pig squeaking. <laughs> it is a brand new pig. I do have to highlight the pig. So I've been having such trouble finding the pigs. They used to sell them at Market Basket, which used to be the mullahs if you live in the New England area. And I haven't seen them in so long. Well, just in case people that moved away, they understand what Market Basket is now. And I have not seen them in so long. (laughs) And uh, when Jimmy was getting his follow-up x-rays for his TPLO, everything looks great, by the way. We're very grateful. They had some at Marshall's, so I had to buy some pigs. I'm very excited. They were closing out the pigs, Marshall's. The orange one, it's his brand new uh, inaugural podcast. Okay, so our Corgi Tip of the Day is... A lot of people have issues with other people's dogs coming on their property and they're like, how am I going to deal with this? What is the best way to deal with this? Maybe your neighbor, you know, has a fenced in yard, but the dog always escapes or maybe they just let the dog out the front door. Well, I found this really interesting thread on Facebook a few months ago, and I've been giving this advice out to people where there are these motion activated sprinklers. So you can get them right on Amazon. And basically what it is, they make them like for deer and wildlife and stuff, not to have your lawn chewed up and plants chewed up, but it's going to be safe for whatever dog it is. We're not talking anything hugely violent. You put it in the ground. As soon as the dog crosses in front of it, it you know has a big sprinkler system. Now, there may be 3% of dogs that will think that's very rewarding and just stand there and bite at it and think that you put a toy in the yard specifically for them. However, most dogs will find that aversive and they will leave your property and maybe they'll stop coming on your property. So that's our quirky tip of the day, motion-activated sprinklers. And it'll work if you have those um, vote for Trump signs on your front lawn <laughs> and every morning they're not there anymore <laughs> yeah. because some friggin' neighbor comes by and rips them up. Yeah. You, you get those them. sprinklers, Eamon. You can use them for a multitude of issues. Okay, before we get into politics, we got a long 2024 ahead. We don't need to talk politics yet. Um, let's talk about this situation. So what, what's what the situation, comes to mind Jess? when someone else's dog is the issue for you? I'm kind of amorous. This, this okay, evening. we're podcasting and we're focusing. Um, what kind of issues <laughs> pop up for you when you think of everyone else's dogs being a problem? Uh, off leash, if I have a dog on leash. Okay, here's one. Here's a real life one. Back when I bought my first house back in 97, Redid the whole front lawn, had sod put in, all kinds of, you know, made it look all special because I had a lot of pride of ownership. (laughs) And the neighbor's dog came marching over and peed in my front lawn. And uh, I said, hey, your dog, could you keep your dog off my lawn? Because I'm getting these yellow spots all over the brand new sod. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, sorry about that. And needless to say, next day, dog just comes roaming over again, peed in the lawn. So... You know, I complained about it. Finally, uh, you know, I was complaining to the parents. I told the kids, and they're like, screw you, buddy. They, <laughs> they could give a crap. You know, these typical typical kids these days. And uh, that, was then, a bit, that was a bit ago. So then when I told the parents that I've talked to your kid about it, and, you know, when you're at work, the, he's letting the dog over here. He's peeing all over my lawn. Then the kid 
took one of the big dog poops from his dog and put it in my mailbox. Oh, really? So we were having a little feud. Well, <laughs> of course, Scott's always fighting with children as <laughs> an adult. <laughs> this is very so, mature of him. And I, of course, I set up cameras. So when I'm at work, there's like How cameras. How did this resolve in itself? I didn't even know this had happened. Uh, the way I, I resolved it was I sold the house and I bought it in a better location. <laughs> I bought a bigger home in then a better was, neighborhood. Then he was no kids allowed. Then he was neighbors with Kevin Costner when he bought that house. <laughs> Scott's had a lot of different uh, areas of life. Okay. So that's a, not a very productive example. No. However, today life, we're going to talk about situations where this is reoccurring, right? So maybe you go hiking off leash in a forest preserve or something, and you always pass this house where, you know, the dog is bordering the trail and this same dog is an issue. Or you're walking your dog in the neighborhood and there's a few dogs in the neighborhood that are always an issue. Or your neighbor's dog is constantly an issue, whether it's because it's coming onto your property or maybe barking frequently or something like that. So yes, there's unexpected stuff that happens where strange dogs come up and we always talk about preparation and everything else on this podcast. But when you're getting offense after offense after offense with the same dog, how do you handle those situations? So I really liked the motion activated sprinkler thing. It was safe for the dog. It was a benign way to deal with things. Personally, I walk with this stuff and this is kind of intense. This is um, bear spray. It's like bear spray. It's Vexor or pepper spray. And I walk with this when I'm in the woods just for safety's sake. Um, It's smart, you know, if I'm alone in the woods, just with one of my border collies, it's smart for my own safety. If there were, you know, a coyote or something that was, you know, feral or rabbit or obviously all coyotes are feral. But if they if it was, you know, more forthcoming than some and concerning, I could use it. And if there's going to be an aggressive dog, it's something that I can use. So I personally like to have this in my pocket when I'm walking, especially in like a deeply wooded area where a lot of other people are not around. The last thing I want to do is use this on a domestic dog or another animal or anything else. However, it's nice to have a plan that if shit does hit the fan, what are you going to do? How are you going to protect yourself? How are you going to protect your dog? So some simple situations I also would think of are apartment complexes. I cannot tell you how many clients of ours live in these complexes. And of course they're dog friendly and there's just dogs everywhere, right? Like, you know, on one floor, there's 20 dogs to 50 dogs, depending on how many apartments are on that floor. And it can be very stressful just to get your dog outside and inside. If there are specific doors that you're going to walk past and that dog is going to at first see another dog and go lunge after that dog, I would suggest that you guys use management in that regard. So if you can, rather than going down the hallway and taking the elevator, go the other way and take the back stairs. If it's a situation like that where you can manage it and geographically speaking from the way the apartment is set up, you can, you know, keep your own dog safe. I would recommend management. Management is not always an option in all of these scenarios, but a situation like the apartment complex, I hear a lot of issues with our own clients that the other dogs are the problem. They're the ones creating it. Your dog can walk past 20 dogs. Everything is fine. And these couple dogs are triggers and they may be putting your dog's safety at risk. And that is an issue for me. Can you think of any other thoughts with the apartment complex, Sitch? Well, if you're friendly with the people, because most dog people are friendly with each other, if you could try to schedule the time where, you know, if, so that they're not walking into each other. The other problem is walking down narrow apartment hallways with dogs. You can't cross the street. It's like you're going yeah. dog on dog there, you know. So it would be nice if, you know, you caught the person without their dog and say, hey, you know, what time do you take your dog out in the afternoon? And just wait, you know, you take your dog out either 20 minutes before or 20 minutes after. You just change that routine so that both of you don't have to keep 
butting heads. So the dogs are butting heads in the hallways. Yeah. Little things like that. You coordinate you know? a system. So these are specific dogs in the apartment buildings that are triggers. Of course, if this is becoming an issue over and over and over again, or if a new tenant moves in and all of a sudden there's huge disruption. Yes. You know, speak to the property manager, talk to management and everything else, but we really don't want to go to like, you know, the manager or animal control or anything as a first line of defense, because then there's just this whole tattletale thing. And then you're getting, you know, adversarial with your neighbors and all this stuff. We don't necessarily want that. Yes, it is an option. If you've tried to take different routes, if you've talked to the person, if it just keeps happening, yes, of course, have someone with more authority in that apartment complex intervene. And more often than not, a lot of these, you know, renters and tenants are talking and they're like, yeah, that dog's a freaking issue. Like we have to deal with it. How are we going to handle this? And there's more than one people that are having an issue with it. But if you cannot come up with a schedule with the person and you cannot use management, then maybe you're going to go to the higher ups and talk. So that would be how I would handle the apartment condo complex situation, especially when we're talking about indoor troubles. Let's now go to neighbors. Neighbors are a big issue. Um, you know, when you're buying a house, you're super excited. Oh, I'm going to live here. It's going to be great. And now you move in and literally the first night, the dog next door is barking from, you know, midnight to 2 a.m. And then the following night, it's happening again. Or maybe they let the dog out at 4.30 in the morning because they get up to get ready and go to work and the dog's just out barking. So let's talk about this situation because I feel like this pops up quite frequently as well. Well, I'd go over and knock on the door and I would say, you know, your dog is barking, you know, from this time to that time. Could you let the dog in or what? what's the problem? Is the dog in distress or whatever it is? But it's nuisance barking if they're barking for, how long is it? It's like uh, I think it's 10, minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah, if the dog is barking 10 minutes straight, then that's like if the animal control guy came, he'd sit outside and listen. If the dog is barking for 10 straight minutes, they're going to give you a warning. And these, these animal control people are very forgiving. They, they love animals too. And they're just going to say, hey, you know, we got a call. Can you guys keep your dog quiet? And then they'll come back again, and then it's going to be a fine. It might be a $50 fine or yeah. something like that. But it's a long road before someone's telling you you got to get rid of your dog or anything like that. Yeah, and again, if you have just moved in as a brand-new neighbor, I wouldn't necessarily call animal control the first day that you're living next to these people and be like, oh, my gosh, there's an issue here. Try to talk to the person. Try to talk to the neighbor. Try to, you know, say you can leave a note in the mailbox. You can, you know, call them on the phone. I was going to say look in the yellow book, but we don't have the freaking white pages anymore where you can leave through the phone book. Um, but literally, like, try to communicate with the people. Make sure the people know that you are not happy before you go and call, like, local authorities like animal control because that's a whole nother level, and we're talking about a lot more tension and a lot more conflict between neighbors. And if you've just moved in, you probably want to live here for a few years and not just move and buy a bigger house like Scott did after the neighbor kid put a turd in his mailbox. So let's come up with a plan that's going to be sustainable and work out. I wasn't at that time in my life. But clearly. You're buying barely, a house, buying you're a house has mature nothing now. to do with being mature. You're barely mature now. <laughs> now, I had a, 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 we were in the house in Amesbury for not very long, and I was out doing some whistle recalls with my dog in the front yard, and a neighbor came walking up the driveway and said, excuse me, could you stop blowing that whistle? And it was in the middle of the day, and I'm like, what, what's going on? What's the problem? It's really stressing my dog out. So her dog was having trauma from me blowing a, like a soccer whistle in the afternoon, doing some recalls with my dog. And I said, yeah, and I, I stopped doing it, and I kept it to a minimum. 
but it was a little frustrating because it's just a damn whistle, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I tried to accommodate the neighbors, uh, you know, and you I have to live day, with these people. But it's people. not like you didn't never yeah, use the whistle again. Yeah, I, you know, when you buy a home, you want to be able. I mean, and in that context, just let your dog inside if it's afraid of a whistle. I mean, this was actual training going on. This wasn't nuisance barking or something. Else. No, there was no barking, but it's not easy, you know, because some people are hypersensitive to any kind of noise, and then their complaining is not justified. But we're talking about if there is there is a really a nuisance dog. And in the neighborhood we're in now, I had a client that called me and said, hey, I'm willing to pay for you to do some training with my neighbor's dog. And I said, boy, what's up? Oh, the dog is aggressive. The dog is lunging, rushing the property line, barking. And my wife goes by with the stroller with our baby, and I'm really concerned about this dog. And I've talked to the people and they won't do anything, and I, I'm willing to pay you if you'd go over there. And I said, it's, that's not going to help. They need to be making that commitment to work with their dog. Me going, You paying me to go over there is not going to, I think, stop the problem. And what they wound up doing was finally complaining to the town, and then those people called me, and I went yeah. over and we fixed the problem they had the really quick. Point. Yeah, because the but town they came had to finally, to And they were trying not to be jerks. I mean, they talked to these people a few times, and the dog was pretty sketchy. I mean, yeah. the dog was getting people stressed out on that road. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get a boot camp price. All right, let's go to break super quick and we get back. We're going to talk a little bit more about neighbors and then we're going to talk about walking in the woods, walking on the street, going for walks and trying to get more peace in your walk. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right. So one thing I want to talk about is like this fence fighting. Okay. And I get it. Some people have lived next to a property that hasn't had a dog and it's just been glorious. They've been residents there for 20 years. They've had dogs the whole time they've been there. Many generations of dogs. Everything's been great. Now someone moves in next door with a dog. My first line of defense when this is happening, when it happens once with your dog, you are going to intervene in some way, shape, or form. So I am so anal that if this were ever to happen at a property we're at and our dogs don't really have fence-to-fence interactions the way that we set things up normally, but whatever. The first time that happened, I'm going to intervene. So that would probably look like I'm definitely going to call my dog in. A crazy woman running into the yard. (laughs) Make sure my dog recalls off of the fence. And I would probably take my dog out on leash for, you know, days, if not weeks, just not to have another repetition of that. Another way to handle that is basic management. Now, it may not be the most aesthetically pleasing thing, but if you have a fence line that, you know, both the dogs can interact with, put one of those snow fences up. I know the orange ones are tacky. They come in green also, but put that up five to eight feet away from the fence where the dogs are having a trigger. The thing about fence fighting is when your dog is controlled and the neighbor dog is the one just going nuts, it becomes a very obvious problem that they have to deal with and not one that the dogs are now actually like interacting between the chain link, maybe actually, you know, touching muzzles, having teeth exchanged. Like that can become a real serious thing. And that barrier aggression is going to intensify your dog. Your dog may not have any reactivity anywhere else, but the barrier aggression enhances things and intensifies things. So make sure that if you do have any form of fence fighting, that you're stepping in immediately, you're not allowing the reps of it. And then possibly you're setting your yard up in a way to make it, you know, more appeasing for both parties. Again, if you can go and you can talk to the neighbor and say, Hey, like, you know, I want to let my dog out between four and five. Can you let your dog out between five and six? This is all great. This is all a perfect world. 
That doesn't always happen where this communication is happening. Half the time, the neighbor's, you know, probably on a call. The dog's barking at them, being annoying. They have to let the dog out of the house so they can actually have this phone call or deal with whatever they need to deal with with the kids. So that's my two go-tos for fence fighting. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, I would say definitely you need to have a secure fence around your property. And most people don't. Most people have a fence, and it looks like a fence, but dogs can stick their muzzles through. They can dig underneath it. They can get their whole head underneath the fence. And it reminds me again of our last house we were in. The neighbors down the street, they had the Golden Mafia, they called mm-hmm. them. And we, that's enough of a description. Everybody knows who the Golden Mafia is in that neighborhood. And um, they were dog-aggressive Goldens that would fence fight with the neighbor, and they killed the neighbor's dog by digging their head under it. And they literally pulled that neighbor's dog into their yard and killed it on their property. That's like a worst-case scenario. But again, it wasn't a secure fence situation. And it wasn't the first time that those two parties were fence fighting. Like yeah, this no, was this going was going on, on and, on and on and escalating. Building and building and building. And that could have easily been a kid. It could have been a little three, four-year-old kid over there or something. I mean, uh, we always have a secure fence. And we also have, you know, we don't have a secure fence for a fence fighting aggressive dog because we don't need that type of fencing. Our dogs, we can call that, we could basically have a pretend fence out there. We could have the, the what do you call it, the snow fence mm-hmm. because we can call our dogs off of anything just about or they're not going to be out in the yard. We're not going to let our dogs, even in a contained area, if they're not going to come to us when we call them. But we're trainers, so that's, yeah, that's our thing. things are a little different for Yeah, us. that's what yeah. we do. So we don't need, and plus, you know, our dogs don't want to escape from us. Thankfully, we don't have any dogs that just want to run away. And sometimes that's another reason for the, you know, containment. But the visual barrier is the most important thing. And that's what we do have in our present situation. We have a very flimsy fence, but it has a visual barrier. Mm -hmm. It's got a fabric so that dogs can't see that we have dogs there and our dogs can't bark at maybe birds that have landed outside the fence or any type of wildlife or other dogs that may be loose. There isn't that attraction for our dogs to get loaded up on something and dogs are not going to run into our backyard because they see a dog. Yeah. No, you know? and that's very true. And even the chain link fence has the stuff that you can weave through. Now, there's still going to be some sight within that, right? Like that isn't going to solve all your issues. But if you're sitting listening to this podcast thinking, hey, we are thinking of building a fence. Let's talk about how to build the proper fence then right off the get-go, right? Like we would go with like wood paneling, probably horizontal, something that your dog can't climb up, and a huge visual barrier. The more that there is a barrier of, you know, actual strong fencing and no visual, the less issues you're going to have. Yeah, and I would put, if I was just an untrained dog that I wanted to fence in and if it wasn't a big area, uh, even putting some cinder blocks at the in the ground across the bottom so they cannot dig underneath. And some people will bury chicken wire just underneath the ground, right at the base of the fence. So when the dogs start digging, they immediately hit chicken wire. Yeah. So they can't just burrow underneath the and fence. And if your dog has a really strong affinity towards the fence and you don't want to get the snow fencing, you don't want to upgrade your fence... XYZ, the reasons haven't worked yet that we've mentioned, get one of those dog trolleys. You can get them at Home Depot. They can be between two trees. Dog can go back and forth. That neighbor dog can be at the fence, fence fighting with it, pretend fence fighting with the dog that's in the yard. Your dog isn't going to be able to access them, right? If you can't call your dog off of the fence, you can just calmly go out, you know, clip your dog up on leash, bring the dog back into the house, but create some form of management to stop that issue in its tracks. Because like Scott was saying, that's a very extreme example 
people, but we have seen that before in our industry, in a neighborhood we have lived in, and this can escalate into a very big problem. So fence fighting, neighborhood dogs coming onto your property, neighborhood dogs barking, a lot of these repeat offenders are neighbors. So these are just some little tips and things to consider. And uh, with regard to the tethering, and I've seen this in several occasions where people will put their dog out in the front yard on a 15-foot or 12-foot cable with a stake in the ground. And um, it's not the best scenario for your dog. Even though your dog probably is absolutely fine out there without the distractions, there's dogs walking up and down the street that will bark at your dog because they may be reactive, which now gets your dog barking at them and being restrained. Now they're at the end of a cable, barking and lunging and acting like maniacs and getting those repetitions. And um, two things can happen. I've seen both things happen, or I've been involved in situations where both things happen. I didn't witness it. But one was the dog broke free from the person walking the dog down the street because it was so crazy. Ran up onto the dog that was tethered they got into a big fight. The lady went onto the property to get her dog back. She got bit by the dog that was tethered. So now they had a dog bite incident. There was a dog fight incident. And, um, you know, I don't, I think that she, the, and, you know, I talked with an, the dog lawyer who was here on the podcast previous, and he didn't agree with the outcome. But in that situation, the woman whose dog bit the person that walked onto her property, they said that the dog was not the public wasn't protected from that dog, therefore it was her fault, and she had to pay for some medical stuff. The dog lawyer said that the dog was on its own property, tethered, and these people went on so that the owner shouldn't have been liable. But regardless, you don't want to be in that situation. And then the other situation that happened right across the street from us is the dog broke free from its tether twice in the past few years and ran up on a dog, and the other dog was, there was an aggressive dog, And I could hear the guy who was walking down the street screaming because he was so upset. He's trying to like, he's almost hanging his dog to get his dog away from this other dog. And so you don't want that situation either where your dog is getting overly stimulated without any humans involved. You know, they're just out there on their own and now they're getting overstimulated and getting into a possibly a bad situation. Yeah. And while we're talking about these tethering situations where the dog is in the front yard, that's kind of bleeding into, you know, walking your dog in the neighborhood and I want to go there next. However, I do want to mention again with the tether situation that the tethers that are dropping down from above where you can put them in between two trees, much, 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 much safer than these other tether setups where you're screwing something into the ground and the dog can get its leg tangled, circulation get cut off to the leg, they can lose a limb, they can strangle themselves. Like these situations are not super safe. I understand if you have a very senior dog or a very you know, uh, docile dogs. Sometimes they work for some people. That is not a safe setup for your dog as far as tethering goes outside. So be mindful of the setup that you're putting your dog in. Yeah, okay. Put them in the backyard where they're not going to see yeah. the, everyone walking right <laughs> yeah. by their house all no, day it's, long. It's true. Yeah. Less, less stimulation, the better. Okay. So now you're going for walks. You have a neighborhood walk. There are certain triggers, right? You turn the corner. There's always the dog that's a jerk, whether it's at its <laughs> fence, at its invisible fence. Maybe it's leaving the house. Maybe it's flying out the front door. What do you do in these circumstances? If it's possible, the way that you live and everything else, you're going to change your path, right? You maybe walk down a half a block, take a right instead of go straight, X, Y, Z. Maybe you change your path. So you walk down the street how you normally do. You turn around before that you hit that house. You go back, you go past your house and you change your walk in that regard. 
Other ways to kind of protect your dog and manage that situation, if your dog is small enough and your dog is not reactive, as you pass that house, you could pick your dog up. What is stimulating the dog who is the aggressor in this moment is the other dogs also kind of reacting and getting into this game. And it's just becoming a big vibe for both dogs. So the more that you can keep your dog under control, the better. If you're able to walk your dog on a loose leash, whether it be with different equipment, maybe you need a gentle lead or something else, that's all fine and good. However, if that dog is leaving the invisible fence or leaving the property and having access to your dog, that's where I'm going to draw the line. And I'm going to say, you should change your pathway as much as possible just for safety's sake. Do you have anything else to say about that incident? Just one of those things that falls in that category of life isn't fair and you can't walk the way you want to walk, do yourself a favor and get a new route. And, and I even tell people quite often, who's do- if they have dogs that just have a history of blowing up at this house and then they have a problem with this person and they have a problem here, put the dog in the car and just take them yeah. you know, five minutes away, take them out and go for a walk in another completely new environment where the dog doesn't all of a sudden get all hackled up knowing, okay, we're coming up on this house now. Yeah, I know that dog's prepping. going to come out. It's I know he's going to come out. Yeah. yeah, that is true. People often have a hard time conceptualizing that. But I mean, especially where we live in New England, we're blessed. But you get in the car, you drive five, 10 minutes, maybe you're going for a walk along the ocean. You know what I mean? Like there's some beautiful places nearby if you just get in the car and go. And half the time, your dog's having more fun going somewhere novel and enjoying something they're not used to. So yeah, if it's a neighborhood issue, you can also get in the car, pick another neighborhood. Super good one. Okay, I want to talk walk in the woods, um, beach, all this other stuff. So now we may be talking about more of an off-leash situation where your dog is used to having the freedom. But again, there's this repeat offenders. Maybe you're in the woods. There's some woods near us and various woods in New England where I've walked before where there are properties that abut where you're walking. You know what I mean? There's a trail, you're mostly in the woods, and then you have to pass a few houses. If you know there is a dog that is going to be running up to you, running up to your dog, even if it's just friendly, we're still talking dog-to-dog interactions, not super safe. Again, my number one go-to, if your dog is small enough, you should be able to pick your dog up. You should have an excellent recall on your dog, obviously, if your dog is off-leash in the first place. That should just be without saying at this point, if you've been listening to us for a little while. So, you know, you see something happening, you see that dog maybe is outside, you call your dog, you leash your dog up, you have, you know, your dog right next to you. If you need to, you can pick your dog up, but you are preparing yourself for this situation. Again, if it's a wood situation, maybe you're not taking that same path. Maybe you're going a little bit different direction and you're getting your last half mile in by taking a loop that you're not used to, even though you enjoy the loop, even though it's what you crave, what you guys enjoy, you're changing your path for the safety of your dog. I can't pick my dogs up. They're too big. <laughs> my dog, you know, I get an 80 pound dog. I mean, I could pick up Jimmy, but I'm not picking him up. All right. Let's talk so, about uh, how you do handle that when dogs run up though. Well, what I, what I would do is body block. I'd, sh- I'd manage my dog by shortening up the leash. I'm not going to rely on his obedience when he's getting a dog trying to run up on him that's showing some aggressive overstimulation. I'm just going to shorten up my leash, put my dog behind me, and I'm going to shoo the dog away with a lot of loud yelling and a lot of body language. But I also encourage people, and I see this all the time, people, especially older people, walking with either a golf club, a walking stick, a ski pole, and they're walking with it. And I know when I see that, that they've been hassled by a loose dog, a dog off leash, and they have a something to keep some separation. Or maybe they're thinking, I'm going to just beat this dog's head in. Maybe they've been bit in the leg, and they're not going to let that happen to them again. But a, a walking stick is a good thing to keep separation. And I remember when I was in California, the local uh, meter, people that would check the water meters, 
would have a stick with a tennis ball on the end of it. And their hope was that if a dog came at them, they'd stick this thing in their face and hope the dog would like go for the tennis ball. Just a little something to keep some separation. Dogs you know? used to like toys more back then. They were yeah. more normal dogs. 20 well, years think, ago, they were still more normal. Than you know, you now. can, um, a walking, and it may give you a little more confidence too. If you're walking with a walking stick, you may feel a little, even though it may not be reality, but you may feel a little bit more secure. Yeah. I have a stick with me. And just feeling more secure you're going to make a bigger presence and yell and hold the stick over your head. And, and most dogs, I, I, you know, there, there are some people that could scare off the worst frigging dog in the world. I know people with huge presence that dogs that are trained to attack people will run away from these people. So remember, they're domesticated animals. And if you're and quite often it's like women will be real scary. <laughs> you know, if, lives, they're, if, they, if they get a little kid with, with them, if they have a child with them, they're going to scare off a, a friggin' mountain lion. Yeah, the walking you know? stick is a good addition. And especially if you are in the situation where your dog is too big to pick your dog up. I've mentioned that a lot. I know everyone does not have the physical capability to do that. Or you have a dog that's over 50 pounds and that's just absolutely not possible. Half the time you own a dog that weighs more than you. Not half the time, but there's a small segment of the population. The walking stick is going to help keep that distance between the other dog and your dog and maybe give you a little more security in that mindset. Oh, I do want to add one thing. If you're going to start yelling at the dog, don't yell with a high pitch because that will start to attract. You know, they're they like, oh, this is great. Let's go tear this thing apart. You need to have some presence. Low and and raspy. Some force. You got to have your grit. It's like yeah. when I tell Gaia to be quiet, Gaia, you got to go, I mean, got to go, go, go. If it sounds go. like you've already been wounded, they're going to be coming that <laughs> faster. All right. Last thing I want to talk about is the situation like the beach, maybe a local park, something like that. Another place where your dog is off leash and then there's this repeat offender where this person shows up and it just never goes well. I'm not even going to touch on dog parks. We're not even going to mention them because we're not big fans of dog parks. That's not where our heads are at or that's you not what, what we promote. You, get. you yeah, get what you get. You guys do you, but that's not something that we recommend. So you're at the park or you're at the beach. The beach, A number one, I'm going to say make sure that you choose your beaches carefully. I know everyone does not have the lovely options of beaches that we do where you can go 15 minutes north or 20 minutes south and have all these different setups. However, if you were at this beach it could be a where lake. Could it's be a just lake. a long, narrow beach and there's no way to get out and you're going to be stuck down there and you know this time of day this person and their dog normally come Change up your routine. Go to the beach before work. Like if this dog and this person, you're now going to be stuck. You have no way to exit the beach, walk up, no other path, no way to get out of there. You have to walk all the way back and cross this person, this dog. Consider changing your beach schedule. Another thing we're going to talk about and think about is you're at the park, right? You like to go to the park. Your dog gets off leash, plays chuck it. Everything's great. Be aware of your surroundings. Look for that dog that you are sometimes concerned about or that you know is going to spin out of control or that has had multiple incidents with other dogs and you don't want the dog to be your dog to be the next victim. As soon as you see that person and that dog, you don't have to be crazy scared or anything else, but you're scanning your environment. You're prepared. You call your dog back, fetch is over, you hook your dog up. Now your dog is under more control and it's not in a situation where they can be 40 feet away from you grabbing a tennis ball and the other dog is racing, trying to get the tennis ball and attacking your dog when it's that far away from you off leash. Any other feedback on beaches or Yeah, well, I would say parks? that, you know, we've, the two of us have gone to the beach with multiple dogs many, many, many times, dozens upon dozens of times, and we've never had an incident. But there's also been several times where we've chosen not to take our dogs out of the car. So we get to the beach, we take a look around, 
there's one beach in particular where we, where we park on the street. You have to go down to the beach. So we have this great view. We can look at the whole beach, and quite often there'll be at least a dozen dogs down there with their owners. And one time, somebody was calling their dog, calling their dog, and the dog would get within eight feet of him, and they'd go to get him, and he'd run away, and he was just running all over the beach. And we knew they had no control of the dog. They were very frustrated, and we chose not to go yeah. down there with our dog. Uh, another time, there was a beach where we had to approach it. We had to park kind of far away from the beach, and it was at the same level as the parking. And we walked with our leash, dogs on leash, up to the sand, and we're looking. You know, is this a shit show, or is this going to be <laughs> is, is this, this going to be, be a enjoyable nice day? for us and the dogs? And, yeah. um, and if we see dogs off leash, but, you know, they're several hundred yards down the beach, we're going to take or our dogs off leash. If and they're we're gonna... under control, a lot of, I'm sorry, when we moved to Maine, the dogs are better behaved in yeah. Maine than Mass. But if there's a dozen dogs and they're right there in the line of fire, then the people have good control of their dogs, no issue. But get a little feel for that vibe before you just let your dog out. And what Scott said about walking our dogs to the beach on leash, that's so true. And something that so many people just glance over like they just think oh we're at the beach i'm gonna let the dog out and the dog goes your dog should never be ahead of you leaving for a trail or ahead of you leaving for the beach or ahead of you running to the park or running to the lake with you not even being there you don't know what it's gonna look like on the other side of that and you guys should be approaching it together yes if it's legal and you have good control then let your dog off leash but it shouldn't just be a, oh we got here open the hatch the dog just gets out and does whatever yeah i mean wants. we just saw that the other day we went to evaluate a dog at a public park and this dog has a biting history. And the guy just opens his car. Lets it, I had opened my door to my car. He got out of his car, let the dog loose. The dog comes whipping around his car, running right up on me. I said, call your dog. Yeah, I wasn't overly stressed, but I knew the dog had a bite history. And so I wasn't going to jump out of the car now and try to make friends with this dog. I'm like, call your friggin' dog back. Put a leash on your dog, please, which he did. But this was just the habit. The habit was he knew the dog wasn't going to run away. He always has the dog off leash, but yet the dog has some issues too. If anyone tried to round the dog up, trying to help, someone said, hey, I'll get him for you. You know, the dog was going to bite him, you know? So know what you have, be conscious of what your habits are and try to make everyone else's life not a problem. I mean, we have a responsibility as dog owners to not have people pissed at us about our dog's behavior. And it's going to be unfair sometimes. A lot of this podcast, 95% of this podcast has focused on if other people's dogs are the issue, but sometimes you're going to have to be the one to pay the price. We're the ones that say, oh, we're not going to go to the beach that day. We're the ones that change our walking schedule. We're the ones that construct our fences differently to make things more amicable between neighbors and safer between these dogs. So yes, while it may not seem fair and while it hasn't been what you imagined when you bought this brand new house or your life has changed in this lovely area that you've lived in for 20 years because you have new neighbors. Sometimes it is unfair and you have to make adjustments. But the sooner that you make adjustments, the more you're preventing the shit show. And that's what we're all about is preventing the shit show. Yeah. And the thing is, we, we're always trying to be good neighbors because we've always had way more dogs than we're supposed to have. No matter where we are, we have way more dogs than we're supposed to have there. And nobody knows it. Yeah. Like no one would have any idea. And um, f- because we manage them all, we keep them quiet. Uh, when we do go out in public with them, they're under control. And um, we have no, 
no problems. And we don't. We just don't want attention. We yeah. don't want any type and of attention that have, has to do with our dogs. We don't allow a lot of BS. We don't like that. Of course. We, we, we're trainers. We don't want any of that. So I hope we gave you guys some food for thought. It's something to think about. And I know it's an issue that a lot of you people deal with. We actually have to give credit to Laura Sapritsky because she wrote us this week and she's like, we're having an issue with our neighbor's dog. You should do a podcast about other people's dogs. And it was a good podcast and we haven't touched on it before. Next week, we are having Abby Klein and Bonnie Scott on. We already um, recorded with them. It's one of our, they're some of our most entertaining guests of all times. You guys can't miss it. It was a super good episode. We almost went a full hour. It's Carnies who can collaborate with uh, Abby Klein and Bonnie Scott, so you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us here today. Have a great rest of your week, and keep, keep it, it quirky. quirky. Bye, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.